0: Welcome to the Jesus Magnet Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Hillary, and we have amazing Claire Bear with us today. How are you doing, Claire?
1: Doing good. How about you?
0: I'm very good. Thank you for coming on to the Jesus Magnet Podcast and being willing to share your story. It takes a lot of courage to come on and and speak in front of a microphone, but I'm sure and you're sure that your testimony is going to be a powerful one, one that's going to touch many people and and they're just going to be very, very affected by it and they're going to be ready to receive uh, what God has in your life today.
1: Yeah, amen. Let the Holy Spirit move in this conversation.
0: Absolutely. So Claire, let's start with who you are and where you're from.
1: So my name is Claire and I'm from Singapore, although Claire is not my legal name, um, really? I gave myself the name Claire. Yeah,
0: you've been lying to me all these years. <laughs>
1: Unfortunately,
0: yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> What's your real name?
1: My real name is Miao Qin.
0: Miao Qin.
1: Close. Yeah. No? <laughs> <laughs> you know how in Chinese it's very precise; like every word has True. different intonations, and so like yeah, there's a specific way to say it. But yeah, okay, I, I don't mind.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I went with Claire for us Westerners. Yeah, to be exactly. Able to pronounce it easy.
1: Not just Westerners actually. In Singapore lots of people who are Singaporean Chinese they can't pronounce my name properly. Oh true. Which is why I became frustrated because <laughs> introducing myself became a whole mission, you know. Wow. I have to repeat myself <laughs> again and again. So yeah,
0: Claire is good. Awesome. And um how old are you, Claire? I'm
1: thirty two.
0: Thirty two. Yeah. And um, you've lived in, so you lived in Singapore, born and bred there, and then you moved over to New Zealand, Queenstown first, or did you live somewhere else in New Zealand?
1: Right, so I was in Singapore for like my first 29 years, and then when I knew about the working holiday visa, I applied for that, Mm. and I came to New Zealand in September 2019, which was like slightly over two years ago, and I went to Auckland first. Right. Just to settle my administrative matters, and I went to Te Puke, worked in a blueberry farm for a while. That was really, really fun.
0: A blueberry farm.
1: Oh my gosh. Blueberry picking is, is the best. <laughs> Honestly, it's the easiest horticulture job. That's what I heard. Really? I mean, yeah.
0: Okay. i remember that if I ever need to go pick blueberries for a living. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and then I was there for two months. Yeah. Just, it was a small farm, just picking... Um, blueberries and then pruning. Mm. Um, and it was really nice. Taranga is beautiful. Mm. The beach there is just amazing. And then afterwards, I moved to Motuika. Okay. I mean, I did some traveling first in the North Island, Rotora, mm. Taupo, New Plymouth, Wellington. And then I went to Motuika to find a job there. Mm. I wanted to work in Nelson actually because it's sunny. And it's warm, and it's probably the Florida of New Zealand.
0: Ah, okay. So
1: I am obviously very oriented towards warm weather. Yeah. (laughs) So I wanted to stay in Nelson, settle down there, find a job in a bakery, you know. Um. But God led me here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you're quite the baker.
1: I like to think myself as (laughs) someone who likes baking, but honestly, I just like following a recipe. Mm. Yeah. I'm not somebody who would like naturally think of oh I have lots of free time today what am I going to do oh I'm going to bake like I'm not yeah that kind of person yeah,
0: yeah. so anybody that's listening a couple of times over the podcast you might remember me sharing about um uh, a friend of mine called Claire um who shared with me why she's a vegan or vegetarian and um I asked her so I don't know if you've heard this Claire, over the podcast yes, I but I have used you so many times <laughs> As an analogy, because do you remember that one time we were at' um, it was an, an analogy to not be able to unknow something, and um, a lot of people might choose to not search out for the truth yeah um, in the event that they find the truth and then they can't help they would ha- they would be forced to have a decision to either change their life or or almost live in Rebellion after they know the truth. And that was regarding um being a vegan. Um so are you a vegan or vegetarian?
1: So I have evolved, Joel. (laughs) (laughs) So I was vegetarian for a large period of time. Yeah. I tried to be vegan but couldn't do it. I love eggs too much. That's right, yeah. And then now I call myself a flexitarian. A so that means I'm mostly vegetarian, yeah. but in certain situations I choose to eat meat and I am not guilty about it. Yeah. Uh, and mainly in those situations, it's when meat is hunted mm. and it's the, the purpose of hunting is to balance out the biodiversity and mm. make sure that the balance of the plants and the predators and the yeah. prey in the system is all good yeah. for the environment. And so I believe in that.
0: Naturally... Create naturally um, hunted meat, not like over these farms that fatten up cows just to go into your hamburgers.
1: Yeah, kind of, yeah. But I mean, uh, to be honest, like there are a few moments where, you know, Josh makes his curry and I'm like, oh my (laughs) gosh, I have to try
0: this. (laughs) It's so good, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so the analogy that I always use is when you and I were speaking and um, I said, Claire, are you a vegetarian? for ethical reasons or health reasons? And you responded and said both. Yeah. And I was like, oh, why is that? And you said, well, ethically, I watched this documentary once. And I said, stop right there, Claire.
1: <laughs> you don't want to know what documentary it is. <laughs>
0: and you're like, you've got to watch it. It's this one. And I said, no, I'm not going to watch it. And you said, why? Why would you not want to know? Yeah. I said, well, Claire, in the event that I watched this documentary and I am revealed... It has been revealed to me the truth behind meat and i love my meat yeah. i really really do and um and the truth is now that eating meat if it's an ethical reason then i'm eating it and it's like an evil thing mm. if i learn that then i can't unlearn that i now am forced with a decision to either live unethically and not and, and continue to eat meat yeah. or to live ethically And go vegetarian However if I claim ignorance And say I never knew Which is what (laughs) I'm choosing to do Then I don't have the guilt attached to me Which is kind of a terrible thing But I said the analogy is Is with people finding Christ And you say hey Can I share Jesus Christ with you And they say no Mm. I don't want to have the knowledge of that truth Because when I know I would be I could be forced to change And I've used that analogy over, and it was a really powerful moment. It was so simple. You and I were just having dinner at Josh's Bible study, yeah. And it's stuck with me for so so (laughs) many months now, and um, it's really got me to think. It's amazing God can use anything to get your brain to think and your 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 wisdom to focus down on certain. Understandings, and when you go to evangelize to people, it really that actually helped me a lot Mm. um, to speak to people.
1: Yeah, and I I think something interesting, just linking to what you are saying, is that believing. Okay, so I can know scripture, and I can know facts that you're telling me Mm. about Jesus and things like that. But then, even I'm going to share later in my testimony. But even knowing that believing that God is real is another thing entirely mm. it's about that personal encounter that for me it was it transformed that's so true my inward um, my thoughts and my emotions and mm. I don't know yeah I feel like it's God who is deciding mm. you know whether or not to touch that person yeah and at what time
0: that's so true yeah. um, well let's actually get into your testimony eh? yeah. well, let's pass pass over the baton and um, why don't you just start at the beginning.
1: Cool. So um, so I grew up in Singapore and I was not a Christian. Um, I was brought up in this religion that was a mixture of Buddhism and Taoism. So for people who are not aware, um, Taoism is similar to Hinduism where there are many different deities and each deity has their own specific kind of blessing that they can, you know, give to you if you pray to them. Mm. Um, and each deity, ha- I don't know, they have their own prayer. Um, and the language was Sanskrit or something. I'm not really sure. Um, but yeah, I was brought up in that religion. Um, and so at in my house in Singapore, we have an altar. It's actually because we believe in so many different deities, but we, in a way, we worship the medium who would be connecting us to those deities. Mm. So this medium, is actually a human being living on Earth. His name is Lu Sheng Yan, and I did some research on him. So he apparently, um, among his followers, he's known as the Living Buddha, and he has spiritual powers and I don't doubt his spiritual powers because you know God gives gifts to everybody right and mm-hmm. so um, he has made claims of you know being able to um, banish um, maybe ghosts who are harassing some of his followers and yeah just many spiritual encounters that he has um, shared with his followers and the interesting thing is, I found out that he was raised Christian, but then he kind of turned
0: away. Is that true? Yeah, wow. it was so
1: interesting. Like I literally just found out this week when I was kind of like doing my background on what exactly was I, you know, worshipping when I was younger, mm. and that was what I found out. And so that was, I don't know, an eye opener, I guess. Mm. Um, so this guy he goes around. He lives in the U.S. and then he goes around Southeast Asia holding prayer meetings and all of his followers, including me and you know, my family, well mainly my dad and my siblings, we would go to these prayer meetings, sit in rows, and then we would pray in Sanskrit. There was a whole um program for us. We had to follow the order of the program. Mm. And then they would they would give us blessings by sprink, sprinkling some kind of water um, at the end of the service. Yeah, okay. so it was a whole thing. Uh, I didn't understand it as a kid, you know. Mm. I was praying in a language I don't understand. I was just doing what I was told to do. Um, so that was my spiritual life, I guess, when I was younger.
0: And So you were, what, seven or eight years old, around that age? Oh, well, it
1: was, I think, younger than that. Because yep. it was my dad who brought us into this religion. He believed in it before we were born, so when we were really young I think when we were babies or something mm. he dedicated us to this person and to the gods of Taoism um, and that was yeah that was what happened so I mean since I was born I guess I was kind of you know in this religion and uh, burning joysticks at, at home for this person mm. um, it was a whole ritual kind of thing yeah but so out of out of my religion Um, back then I was raised in a family that was um, I guess most would say it's an Asian stereotype very focused on excelling in school so I was doing very well in school I was studying hard, I was getting good grades but at home it was kind of um, an atmosphere of control there was a lot of control Um, I would say more of emotional, spiritual, and behavioural control. So, mm. I don't doubt that there was love uh, in the family, but there was no grace. So, I didn't understand what grace was when I was growing up. And it, um, I mean, I think on my part and maybe my siblings, there was a lot of fear, especially around my father, mm. um, to the extent where, because he would, he's a strong disciplinarian, so he would tell us that, okay, when we are sitting on a chair, we have to sit straight. We can't hunch over because he would kind of come and correct mm. our posture. And um, I wouldn't be able to call my friends regularly because he's checking the phone records. Um, and I can't watch TV when school is going on because I have homework to do. And after homework, I have to do assessments then.
0: Wow. So uh, was this form of control... Uh, a cultural thing or is he just a very controlling person or...
1: I think it could be both. Um, But everything that I'm going to share, I speak with utmost compassion Mm. um, towards, you know, my family because my dad, he didn't have a good education when he was growing up. So for him, education is the most important thing in the world. All right. And so he wanted to It's actually very
0: common uh, over the most of the, the world, really. Mm, yeah. Um, a lot of people have this education mindset, and and the, the sad thing is is you have these. Uh, it's a, definitely a lot in America, and it might be similar in Singapore. Um, the education system, uh, the amount of pressure put on these kids mm. to pass is immense. Like these parents put everything. On these children to to have straight a's or excellences in school, yeah to have a four point or whatever it is um, and it's kind of unfair on on these children because life in general is not really like that um you don't have to go and do this big essay when you go and do a new job mm. you know um and the, the, any new job or any university i mean after university. Um, nobody's gonna ask for your straight A's and um, English when you were in Year Ten or grade school or whatever it is. Exactly. Um, it's it's all. To, I get it to build character and resilience. Oh, yeah. um, there's definitely a good part of it, but I think it's taken to an extreme in a lot of cases.
1: Yeah, and I think my family wasn't like too extreme about it as well. I have heard of people in. Korea and Japan, kids mm. who are you know killing themselves because they are not passing exams. It's just sad. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I never had that kind of pressure in a way.
0: Oh, that's good. Um.
1: Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I. I. I guess because I was already excelling. I don't mm. know. So I never really faced that kind of fear. Um. So acutely, I guess. That's good. Yeah. Um. But then, like, out of out of school. There were other areas of control that, I I guess for me, um, the con- the external control became an internal control. Mm. So things like I I couldn't be sad or angry because it's uh, frowned upon, mm. and I can't disagree. I can't voice my opinion. Um, all these were kind of, I guess when I did them, I got disapproval. And so I started to um, strive a lot to build my identity around what should be done, what people should see as right, and how I can get approval from people. Mm. And yeah, and for most of my childhood, I was really like numb. I think that's the best word to describe it. I was very numb. I was passing um, day by day, you know doing well in school, and that was the only way that I I saw I could get um, affection, I guess, mm. but everything else, you know, because of my restrictions around my friends, um, I had no close friends, and there was no happy memories from my childhood, really. like we would we would go on family holidays every year, and it sounds like a really nice thing, right? And I don't want to undermine the privilege of this statement, mm. but at the same time there was a lot of fear around these holidays. There was also a lot of control around whether or not um, we would be pleasing my dad, you know, every single, like whether we would wake up on time or get ready on time. And, you know, all these things, it was Mm. just around the whole holiday kind of um, mood. So I don't know, like there was a lot of self-soothing because Mm. I couldn't, there was no grace, I guess, that I was receiving and no acceptance I felt. So there was a lot of self-soothing on my end. Like I had to just go in the dark or if I wanted to cry, I just had to cry to myself. Um, and yeah, it, it, that fear around my dad got, got so extreme that me and my um, brother and sister, we would, for example, we would be sitting at home, maybe just relaxing a little bit, like doing our own thing. And then, so we live on the 14th story of our apartment building. That's the highest floor, okay? And my dad, I
0: can't even comprehend that because oh. we we don't even we don't have buildings that big. <laughs> I know it's
1: just yeah, it's everywhere in Singapore because Singapore has such a small land mass. So yeah. <laughs> everyone lives in apartment buildings. They are like really high. And 14 <gasps> stories isn't even the tallest apartment building in Singapore. They are like buildings. They are like. Thirty stories high. Oh
0: my gosh!
1: But yeah, so we were, so we would be on the highest it's floor. Like
0: a ten-minute elevator ride. <laughs>
1: oh, not so. No, not not so slow. Our elevators are really fast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, what I was trying to say was that so my dad, his keys, he used to hang this bell with his keys, mm. and the that conditioning that came with. This sound of the bell ringing Mm. when he walked with the keys in his pocket was so ingrained in me and my siblings that when we were on the 14th story, in our rooms just talking or just doing something that was apparently not like homework. I can't even remember what, but we would hear my dad actually walking downstairs. And just based on the sound of that bell hanging from his pocket, Mm he would, because my dad, he would ride the motorbike and then the moment he parks the motorbike, he gets off the motorbike, the moment he gets it off and starts walking towards the lift, we can hear the sound of the key and our ears were so attuned to that that the moment we heard that, we would be like, oh, he's coming home and then we would just have to go to our table, sit straight and then start doing homework or whatever that was supposed to be right, you know?
0: Mm. Wow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just it really funny but... This is one of... This, this is just the extent of, um, I guess, the fear that we had. Mm. Or maybe maybe let me just speak for myself, like the fear that I had um, from my father. And, yeah. and so...
0: Do you think um your father might have had... Did, did he work for somebody else? Yeah. Because sometimes fear can be passed down from people and he might have had a really tough boss that expected a huge amount from him. Mm. And then he feels like he needs to bring that attitude home um, so that when you go into the workforce you're not shocked, shocked by the the same treatment that he might be getting and it's just, it's literally passed down from person to person, Yeah, um, starts at the top.
1: You are right, that totally happens, we learn it in psychology, it's called displacement or something, Mm. there's a term for it and and this even happened to me as well. So that control that I was experiencing from my dad,
2: mm.
1: I started doing it to my friends. And oh, true. The, yeah, so at the age of, I think, as early as nine in school, what I remember was with my close friends, I say close with hesitation because I don't even know if I, you know, it was close because I was controlling them essentially. Mm. I was telling them that don't do this in front of me. And I, for one of, they are still my friends, thankfully, (laughs) but for one of my friends, I actually wrote down a whole list of things that she cannot do in front of me. Otherwise it would really piss me off. Wow. I was the worst. (laughs) And so like I, and the thing is that Joe, like, I don't know what compelled me to do these things, Mm. but I, on some level knew that it was wrong Mm. and I hated myself for it, but I couldn't stop i I didn't know any other way of being with friends i I don't know mm. why because I guess that was what I was receiving so so around my childhood, there was also a lot of self hatred like i I felt like i don't know i I completely did not know how to relate to people mm. um, and then so the first person that I remember who started showing me some kind of grace and acceptance was my teacher in primary five. So primary five would be the age of about 11. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And she was my form teacher, my English and math teacher in school. And she would tell each of us to write down our experiences in journals and she would read every single um, entry that we submitted to her mm. and she would and it wasn't even a homework assignment right she would just um, read what we wrote and she would just make comments at the side like oh this is interesting I didn't know that and she just genuinely wanted to find out about our lives and so that was the first adult figure I guess that started to show me care in a way that I did not receive before mm. my parents I they love me and I understand that and I think their way of showing love was more providing at home, yep. not so much the emotional side. So, in that sense, this teacher, she was kind of for me that person. And also, I had domestic helpers at home. It's a thing in Singapore, mm. you know, when the parents leave, then a domestic helper will be at home to take care of the kids and to cook and to clean. Okay. So, I had. I it, right. Is it a
0: bit like a nanny today?
1: Yes. But yeah. she was living with us. Yep. And then it depends on the contract, but then they would change, like if they wanted to go back home, because most of them were from the Philippines or Mm. Indonesia, Mm. so if she wanted to, you know, go back home after the contract ended, then my my parents would look for a new one. Mm. So I guess my domestic helper and this teacher, they were kind of the people who nurtured me in that sense, Mm. and this teacher, her name is, at that point of time, Miss Nancy So, but now she's married, so Mrs. Nancy Lam. She was a Christian, oh wow, yeah, and she um like she actually i don't know, just showed me that adults can actually care about my life mm. in a way that I didn't understand, but I liked that a mm. lot, um, and I found her very approachable, and she even invited. The class to her church wedding, so that was the first time that I stepped into a church wow. when I was eleven. No, oh, huh. no, when I was thirteen, because she got married like two years after the afterwards. But and
0: she invited you guys to the wedding.
1: Yeah, she did. Oh, cool. And I'm, and even now I'm still keeping in touch with her.
0: Wow. Um, she
1: has occasionally texted to us, "How is it in New Zealand?" And yeah, just the most amazing person. Like, imagine she has thought like. So many kids, hundreds mm. and hundreds of kids, and she still remembers each one the students from you know way back, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is amazing
0: that's really cool, so yeah. shout out to what's her name
1: uh mrs nancy Lum mrs Mrs. Nancy Lum
0: oh cool, yeah. so well, shout out <laughs> yeah
1: hey, hope you're doing well,
0: yeah, hope yeah. she gets to listen to this <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so she would also i guess when she invited us to her house for gatherings, she would pray as mm. well. So for me at that time, because I was not a Christian, I just thought, oh, this is just, you know, something mm. weird. And um, But I always look forward to talking to her. And mm. yeah, um, she gave us a children's Bible as well. Really? I tried to read it um, when I was young. And, and for me, it was it was just having that Bible at home was sort of like this thing that I was forbidden to do, right? Because my dad, he's very uh, religious and Mm. he was strongly against any other religion, including Christianity. And he Mm. voiced that out and he made it very clear to us. So for me, having that Bible in the house, for me, it was like, oh my gosh, I can't can't open it. I can't because Mm. like, if my dad finds out, I will die and you know, all these things. Um, But so when my dad was not home, I would kind of try to read it but you know the thing about the Bible is that it's just weird language for a kid
0: it is (laughs) tricky yeah Yeah. wow so that's amazing even as a kid you were trying to get that word into you you know it's
1: weird yeah I like reading so I guess I tried to read the Bible yeah um, but I did not understand it so after a while I just left it aside Mm. and I don't even know where it is now to be honest but so that was my first kind of um, Mm. interaction with church you know with the Bible, and then when I was um, 14, Mm. two of my friends in school, they invited me to their church, Mm. I think because they saw that I was, I'm not sure what what they saw, but I think at that point of time, I was going through a mild depression, but I wasn't diagnosed or anything, I just was very withdrawn, and I was... Just they could they
0: ang- could sense a need for hope.
1: Maybe, yeah. yeah, angry and just all the time, you know. So um so these two friends, I just want to say their names. Because I just want to credit every single person in my life who mm. has connected me to Christ or tried to connect me to Christ. And so Sweat and Mesa, they were both Christian and then they brought me to their church in Singapore. And so I forgot the name of the church, but it was it freaked me out, Joel, <laughs> because it was a Pentecostal church. So they were raising their hands in worship, speaking in tongues, you know, during the worship session. And for me, I was so not used to that, and inwardly I felt um a, a lot of discomfort, like a lot of tension, a lot of discomfort. And I yeah. and at now when I think back on that moment, I feel that it's because. I was under like some kind of demonic influence or something mm. with the other religion that I, I I had going on at home and mm. at altar, and so I was so uncomfortable with this praising God and everything that was going on in my friend's church that I couldn't even stay for the for the whole mm. worship session mm. before the worship ended. I just took my bag and I snuck out of the church and obviously I couldn't sneak out without them noticing because they were with me, right? So mm. but I didn't even want to tell them why I was leaving. I just felt that I just could not stay in the church anymore. And so I left and then they had to run after me and ask me like, Hey, what's going on? Are you okay? And Wow. Um Yeah, I just said no, I just felt really uncomfortable, like because I think inwardly there was also that control in me, um, telling myself that I I should not be at church because, mm. you know, of my other religion that I was brought up with, I should be praying to the other mm. God and not this God. And I just, there was a lot of shame around me being in the church at mm. that time. So I just, and my friends, thankfully, they just let me go. They just say, okay, yeah, but you're welcome back anytime. I, and, you know, um, they never invited me again. Oh, <laughs> but,
0: but that, that obviously stuck with you quite a lot, that one uh service that you did go to, um so you remember it so well, and you wanted to credit these two people yeah. to bringing you to something like that, yeah exactly, um, yeah,
1: so that was, yeah, so that was my kind of my second encounter, um going to church,, mm. and honestly, around this time as well was a time where I tried to um distance myself from the religion at home, mm. I'm not sure. For what reason? But I guess I just didn't want to do anything I don't understand, yep. and so I tried to tell my dad that I don't really believe in this anymore, mm. and I don't really want to go to all these prayer meetings. Uh, unfortunately, there was a lot. There was a massive reaction against that. Mm. Um, my phone was confiscated. I was told that I wasn't part of the family and um, yeah, just some of that spiritual manipulation mm. and i couldn't I couldn't break away from that religion i I just had to continue because that was what I was expected to mm. do um and so yeah, I will get back to to this um later, but basically, around my teenage years, which is around this same period of time. As well, I started having body image issues, because um, sometimes in my family there will be comments made about how I look. As well, like how thin I was, how I was not, I'm not eating enough. So,
2: mm.
1: I'm kind of on the other spectrum, right? Like there are people who get upset because they feel that they need to lose weight, but they can't. But I'm on the other spectrum. Yeah,
0: you're tiny. <laughs> where I am,
1: just so thin. Yeah, and and I was. Initially I had no issues with my with my body image but you know when you get to the teenage years you start to be concerned about how you look more mm. and so it became a whole thing for me that I had a lot of shame around how thin I was mm. and I wanted to gain weight but I couldn't wow and people would teachers would assume I was anorexic and they would make comments directed mm. towards me and that upset me because I wasn't anorexic but I looked thin enough to be considered anorexic yeah um So then besides the hatred towards my control of people, there was also the hatred towards my own body. Mm. And looking in the mirror was just something that, I don't know, like I would look at all the flaws in my body when I was looking in the mirror. Um, Just couldn't accept myself. Um, But around this time, I also started dating somebody. And um, he was kind of, I guess, my everything because I had nothing from my family and I hated myself mm. and so like he was the person who was like...
0: It's anchoring you to, yeah, to hope. Yeah,
1: exactly. Is
0: he, so you were at high school at this point?
1: So that was, I started dating when I was 17, yeah. So we don't call it high school, we call it junior college in Singapore. Okay. Yeah, it's a different term but I, yeah. And that,
0: then college would be university.
1: I guess, yeah. 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 Okay. So, around that time, I started dating him. And then, um, he was my best friend, my confidant, you know, everything. Because I had no one else in my life. But then, this relationship, well, it lasted for six and a half years. Mm. And I had, like, so many hopes, you know, for us settling down and everything. But then, it ended in 2013. And that was when I was about 23, I think. Mm. Yeah. So that shattered my whole life, actually, because um, I felt that the world just was gone beneath my feet, mm. and I had nothing to hold on to.
0: Yeah, because that's quite a long relationship from 17 to 23. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good, chunky life.
1: It. Yep. It is. It was a huge part of my life, and... Yeah, my whole self-worth was kind of built on this relationship and on, you know, my grades in school and all these things. Mm. But then they don't... They couldn't last. And Mm. so when this relationship ended was when I started to really have, like, this um, spiritual yearning Mm. or something. It was a huge void at that point of time. Um, But also... It was what prompted me to want to go to church mm. um,
0: It's amazing uh, when you get to points like that you find everything's crumbling around you. you the walls are going down, you just you don't know where to go yeah and it's it's at those moments when you feel that you're falling where God catches you yeah. and and sometimes it takes a fall to be caught, you know. Yeah. And that—that's an initial. Uh, do, you, do when you go to sleep, sometimes do you feel like you're falling? Yes, yeah, I get that sometimes, yeah. and I, I feel like it's the same thing. Like that's like that step of faith. But sometimes God allows you to fall. Like if you never fell, you would never find him. Mm. He would never be able to catch you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: And I can see that now because, although this relationship meant a lot to me at that point of time, it was not very healthy there was, again, that narrative of control, um, of insecurity, of jealousy. And um, although it ended because there was a third party, there was another girl, but I saw myself also playing a role in the end of the relationship because of my controlling um, behaviours. And yeah, but you can imagine because this added to the narrative of the whole string of events of... Abandonment that and mm. rejection that I was experiencing since I was young, and um, it was yeah. It wasn't just this this guy, my family, and then also the domestic helpers that I mentioned. I was mm. I grew really attached to one of them when I was young, like when I was f- three to six. This person was just my everything. She was kind of my mom at home because mm. my mom was working. And then she left, she went back to Philippines, and I was devastated by the incident as well. So it was like this whole string of incidents and this constant narrative that, okay, people are going to leave me, um, I don't belong anywhere, not not in my family, and not anywhere, not to anyone. And I do also feel the the devil takes hold of that, you know, and, and just drove it even deeper into my heart. It mm. was one moment when I was going home from work and I was on a bus. This random thought just came into my mind and it hit me so hard that tears just sprang into my eyes and that thought was, if people knew who I really was, then no one will stay. And it just, I don't know, I I think that it was the devil speaking there mm. and I was just, yeah, that's true, you know? Wow. And I just accepted that. And... um. Yeah, and so I I think um, my main testimony is actually about my family. So I will be sharing some incidents that happened with my family, um, not with a spirit of condemnation. Because what I'm going to share, they all know they they all know about it. Not that I'm going to share on the podcast, but I have had conversations with them about each of these incidents, and they know how I felt about them, and we talked about it. So um, I'm sharing them here because I feel that it's important for listeners to understand that that part of me was broken and how God redeemed that at the Mm. very end. Um, So with my dad and how he was controlling, um, there were moments where he... For some reason, I had no idea what I did to offend him, but he would just shout at me to get out out of his sight and get lost um, in public. And that for me was very embarrassing and it was very shameful. And I felt, yeah, I just felt very rejected in those moments. Um, He also said there were moments where... I think in school, I, I knew that I was very good at math, so I just kind of mentioned it in passing and said, I think I'm good in math. And then he said that, oh, you are so arrogant. And he said, I can't say that, you know. um Yeah, and then he said that I was stupid on a separate occasion. And in my teens, I mentioned before, there was that spiritual manipulation telling me that I don't belong in the house. I'm not allowed to go to certain parts of the house because I choose not to believe in his God. um. And then she w- he would also tell me that I have to do well in school, and although my sister didn't have to, my sister was exempted from that expectation. But he put that expectation on me and my brother, especially.
0: Are you the oldest?
1: Um, I'm the youngest.
0: You're the youngest. Yeah. Okay.
1: So, um, yeah, um, and then he would constantly say that my sister is a gift from his God, and how he prayed so many years for her. And I say this not with resentment towards my sister. I love my sister very much. And I had no resentment towards her. I just didn't like how he treated us differently. Mm. Um, and I, man, I really hated my dad when I was growing up because of all these things. And I even wished that he was dead multiple times. And I wrote in my diary with Red pen, and I was like, writing so hard that the page would break because I was so angry with him. So there was a lot of anger towards my dad and also seeing that part of him in me that was controlling my friends made me Mm. hate myself. So it was like a whole cycle, right? And then um, a few years back before I came to New Zealand, I found out that... So I was an unplanned child. I was kind of... Yeah, my parents wanted to stop. Um. after my brother and sister were born. And I was kind of an accident, in a way. And I found that out when I was maybe in my late teens. Uh, my aunt was telling me at one point that, oh, you're supposed to be a boy, but you turn out to be a girl. And then my mum, I guess she um, was not expecting me, you know. So she was not, I would say... She was not prepared to have a third child and in terms of the financial needs um, at that time, she wasn't prepared for that. But then I my dad was telling me that, oh, maybe your mom didn't really want um, you to be born but then I wanted to keep you and at that moment I was like, oh, you wanted to keep me, that's so nice. And then he said, oh no, I want to keep you because the government was giving a, third, uh, a bonus for third kids. In families, so they were wow. giving a massive cash bonus to people who were deciding to have third kids because they wanted to grow the population. So my dad actually told me this before I came to New Zealand, and that just devastated me. Joe, yeah. I was I was kind of thrown into like this void where I was questioning my existence on Earth, and I was mm. asking God, why am I put in this family? Why? What is my value? Mm. And is it just? Monetary value that they are seeking from me, you know mm. what? What am I giving to them that they're not that is not enough, you know?
2: Mm.
1: And so that was a whole thing with my dad, right? Um, but yeah, and so that was that was with my dad and with my and I don't blame him for what he said because his family is also very broken, and I don't think he got the kind of love that he needed mm. when he was growing up he would talk about his relationship with my grandma and how there was also a lot of resentment with his siblings when he was growing up. So I completely don't blame him. He showed us love in a way that he knew, which is just providing for us and giving us food and paying for our education needs. And he was, mm. he was so generous when it came to our education. He would just stop work go out Mm. of his way to buy a book for us if we needed it in school at that time. So my dad was just, you know, that person. But yeah, emotionally, um, there was a lot of hurt from him Mm. when I was growing up. And yeah, and, and for my mom, I guess it was more like, I felt like a burden. It started right from her not wanting me, you know, to be born. I guess that hesitation of accepting that, you know, I was a child going to be born. Um, that kind of hurt me a little bit because I feel that all the mothers I know are so happy having a, a kid. And my mom's reaction was the complete opposite of that. And so I took that as a rejection to mm. myself. And um, she would also, I guess, she would expect me to take care of myself. So if I was sick, it's Mm -hmm. because I wasn't drinking enough water and I wasn't taking care of myself and there was a lot of things around at home. Um, Like even if I wanted to have bread for breakfast and I asked her if she could get it for me, she would say like, why don't you just get it yourself? So there was a um, a lot of moments where I just, okay, if I am struggling, I cannot turn to my mom because I'm a burden. So Mm. I have to take care of myself. I have to fulfill for all my needs. I have to be independent. Um, I have to support myself and I can't infringe on her time and her energy and her money. I have to just do everything on my own. Mm. So that was the thing with my mom, right? Um, And yeah, and that period of time when I was facing the body image issues. One of my friends in school she actually um, talked to me about it and she offered um, help with her mom because her mom was a doctor and she would be able to advise me on my diet and things like that. Mm. So I started going to see her mom at her clinic and she would just not charge me for the consultations because she was just giving grace. I'm not sure if she was Christian but it was just something that it was a kindness that I did not expect and I really mm. appreciated. So in the period of time when I was um going through that body image issues, I was started I started to see my friend's mom for weekly consultations about my diet and how I can get multivitamins as supplements. And my mom found out about it. Um I think it's because she was there was one day when I was at home and I was kind of like um feeling a bit upset mm. and my mom came home and she she was also in a bad mood because of stress at work I think. And then I can't remember why but I just burst out crying. I just said that I do you know that I am actually having body image issues and I and my friend's mom, she's so nice, she actually, you know, offered to see me and my mom was not happy that I started crying. um she just said that, "Why are you crying?" and then she said are you th- are you sure about this? There's no free lunch in this world like there's no way she's gonna offer you this this kindness without expecting something in return or something mm. and I was so angry at what she said because I was thinking that this person is showing me kindness, and you are not giving me anything as a mom, you know yeah, um, but at that point of time, yeah, it was like. It wasn't resolved. Like, she just left. Mm. And I was left to just comfort myself again and just rationalize it to myself. But, yeah, so, um, there was no emotional support at all um, Mm -hmm. at home with regards to whatever that I was facing. Mm. And even with my siblings, because we were all having that control, right? So, Mm. We would, have, we would not have our own relationships with each other. It was very transactional at home. It mm. was just like, oh, we have we have to look like we are in harmony because mm. that's what my dad expects from that's us. That's
0: the expectation, yeah. We it's interesting yeah. When, I, when I'm hearing this, um, I'm hearing uh, you don't have the father that you should have. Uh, you don't have the, the mother that you, you feel that you should have. And it's interesting because God keeps putting all these different people in your life. That sort of represent those figures um, each time, and the Bible talks about this. It talks about He's a father to the fatherless, mm-hmm. and I think that's in in a in a sense when we get the revelation that we're never truly alone. That, um, but that's once we've had the revela- revelation of the Holy Spirit living within us, and that's somebody that we can go and consult with, and and um, and really get on our knees and say, you know, Holy Spirit, help me. But in your life, you hadn't come to that revelation at that point. Yeah. You didn't know the Holy Spirit was with you and, and that God had everything he had for you. But God's still there with you, even though you didn't realize he was there with you. He's still putting these people in your life every step of the way, making sure that you know this is... This you might not have your father. He's going to be the one that's full of control, and I'm going to give you this person that that is really listening to you and and going to be there for you. Yeah, this this lady that you're still in touch with, yeah, my uh, teacher, yeah, your teacher, yeah, and um and yeah, just each each time I just I hear that I hear about this big hole in your life, and then about two paragraphs later we got the solution, and and it's interesting that that keeps happening.
1: That's so interesting that you're saying that. Yeah, I mean, I know now, based on scripture, that the Lord is always with me and He will never abandon or forsake me. Mm -hmm. Um, And even when I first started going to church, there were moments where I was crying so hard about how things are in my family, how it ended with this guy. And then God spoke to me in those moments and said, I was there, I was with you. And that mm. just made me cry even more I was like no <laughs> you were there I know you were there yeah so it was it was a whole thing but it took me a while to get to this realization yeah but yeah but it's nice that you even you are seeing it you know just listening to what I'm saying
0: yeah I can um, I can see God in there even mm. when you didn't know him yet he still was chasing after you yeah um, he's still chasing the knowledge that you get to know him.
1: <laughs> oh, my God! okay, I will get to the good part, <laughs> yeah, but um, so the thing about my family's there, so with my siblings, it was really just very detached, um just doing things that we were supposed to be doing, and then we were not arguing as well. We can't argue because my dad doesn't want us to argue, so any mm. unhappiness that we have with each other is all just buried inside, um, but at the same time, i do I did feel a little bit of rejection as well from my sister we have talked about this um, already, uh, but basically when we were younger, I just felt like she wasn't accepting me as a sister. So we were going to the same school. We're just one year apart, by the way. And you would think that people one year apart would be very close, right? Yeah. But then she was just pushing me away from her. So I would I would be co- joining the same um, activities as her and she mm. would just say, don't do that because I don't want you to be in the same thing as me. I don't want you to choose the same clothes as me. I don't want you to you know have <laughs> the same things as me. And... It was a whole thing of like, I, I wanted a big sister, but she didn't want me around. So <laughs> it became, I don't know, just just that sense of rejection also.
0: I, I think. think it's youngest sibling syndrome. I've got the same issue. Oh, I'm, the, really? I'm the youngest sibling. <laughs> I've got two older brothers. Uh-huh. And um, I always felt that I wasn't quite strong enough or smart enough um, because they were always that few steps ahead of me. Mm. Um my brothers are very musical and um my oldest brother he can play the guitar and the bass guitar and um and the drums really well. And then my other brother he can play the bass guitar and the guitar and the piano and um then I was always just that little bit behind. And we also used to do lots of um trampolining, so we had a big trampoline in the backyard and my brothers could do these amazing back flips and front flips and things like that. And now um, it's interesting how much that's impacted my life because since then I have become a, an extremely good uh, drummer and I can play the guitar and um, a little bit of piano. And I also was um, a ski and snowboard trampoline coach Four or wow. six years And could do triple backflips and things like that Far exceeding my my two brothers yeah. But I still felt And even to, to, to this day A little bit That I'm still behind them Really? And I can it, There is no competition If we were all to jump on a trampoline right now It just it wouldn't even be worth my time now um but it 's interesting i I see it as youngest sibling syndrome where no matter <laughs> no matter how hard you try as the youngest sibling, you always feel like you're a little bit behind. <laughs> That's so funny that you
1: say that because in Singapore, we actually call it the middle child syndrome. Oh, true. Yeah, it's funny because my sister was feeling exactly what you mentioned. Oh, really? She was feeling, yeah, we talked about this. So she said she was feeling like she couldn't match up to me and my brother in terms of academics. And she was always getting grades that were not there, not A's. And then she felt like she was not good enough. And so she actually felt like she didn't want me around because she wanted to create her own identity separate mm. from me, which is totally understandable. Yeah, But at that point of time, I felt very rejected by her and now we understand it and we can laugh about it. But then, yeah, so it was like, this whole thing, right, we've, With your siblings when you are younger. There's so many, I don't know, complex emotions and struggles. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I, I feel for the oldest child a lot as well because Mm -hmm. they're like that, you know when you make pancakes and the first one always comes out really weird? Um, (laughs) It's not that they come out weird, but they're the trial child. So they probably get the hardest from... The parents, you know, they have to achieve the most. And, yeah. and, um, but then they're, they're also the test subject for the parents because they're first time parents as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, They yeah. might drop the ball a few times. <laughs> so I feel for the oldest for sure. But then I, I, in my opinion, I think the middle child's the favorite child.
1: Oh, you think?
0: Yeah. Hi. And then, um, and then the youngest is sometimes the favorite child, but sometimes the forgotten child. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, I think you're right. Like, thinking about my family, my brother had it the hardest. He was the most disciplined in terms of schoolwork. He had to set an example for me and my sister, and yeah.
0: Same with my brother, Yeah,
1: A lot of pressure over there. Mm. And um, also, yeah, I, I see my sister as the most loved, although sometimes they say that I'm the most loved, but honestly... I did not feel that when I was younger. Like based on everything that I just shared, for me, the youngest child being the most boy is just complete nonsense. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, that was my experience when I was growing up. And yeah. this, this perceived rejection from my sister actually because we, we didn't talk about our feelings. We didn't like resolve yeah. things with one another. Like we were, we were young. We weren't brought up to address our emotions at home. So, mm. this narrative actually linked all the way up to just like even last year. Um, and even before I came to New Zealand, it was still ongoing. And one incident that I shared before, and she knows about it as well, was kind of, because um, we share the same room. We sleep in the same room. Our beds are next to each other. And um, I snore. <laughs> So there have been many times where she was awakened by my snoring. <laughs> so all future roommates just warning in advance. Um, and she would be really upset about it because she's a light sleeper. Yeah. And she hates it because she can she's stressed at work and then she can't get a good night's sleep and she has tried to wake me up sometimes, like throwing pillows at me, or I don't know what she does, but um, I'm a deep sleeper. So once I'm snoring, like I'm just out, right? (laughs) (laughs) And there was once where, I think there was one night where before I came to New Zealand, it happened again. And But the thing is, okay, we can laugh about it now, but then when it happens, it's really upsetting for my sister. It's not a joke to her. And so she would, tell me the next morning she would say like um there was one night where she said oh man like she came home from work she was really stressed and then she said that i couldn't sleep well last night because like yeah you you were snoring and and she was <laughs> like, she was
0: like it's your fault <laughs> <laughs> yeah she was
1: really angry and i was and i was thinking that oh my gosh i had nightmares the whole of last night and that's the reason maybe i wasn't sleeping well you know that, that's the and so i said that oh oh, you, you didn't sleep well. And I said, I, I also didn't sleep well because I was having nightmares. And then she was really, she was just completely like dismissing that. And she said, like, you didn't sleep well. <laughs> what about me? <laughs> you know, something like that. Yeah. And then that really, really upset me because I was thinking all these years that we are sleeping in the same room, mm. obviously just the nature of being roommates, you would wake one another up when you are doing things around the room, right? You mm. would like... um.
0: You yeah, like, think so? Yeah. She
1: would wake up earlier than me, and then she would um, go for a shower, and then she would dry her hair in the room, mm. and then that wakes me up. But mm. I wasn't bothered by it; like I didn't see that as a need to blame her for anything, because mm. it's what I expect. Um, mm. And and then I said that to her. <laughs> it was really hard for me to say that, by mm. the way, because we had this whole. Um, Think about sweeping things under the carpet. So just for me to even voice out my true mm. thoughts was really hard. And I was actually trembling when I said it to her. And I said that just living in the same room, I never expected you not to wake me up at any point. Like, if I'm woken up by you, I'm perfectly fine with it. And and I can't control my snoring. And, you know, mm. I'm sorry, but then that's just... I don't mean to wake you up, you know? Mm. And But just... Just to appease her, I went to shop for an anti-snoring pillow. <laughs> Do you know there were such things?
0: <laughs> does it sit on your face or something? <laughs> how does that even work? That's so funny.
1: No. So the contours of the pillow are shaped such that it would prop your neck
0: further oh, up, right. and
1: so your airways will be kept open when you are sleeping, and so that would stop the snoring. And Apparently. And how did that go? So I tell you, this pillow cost me a $300 <laughs> and I bought it because I wanted oh her to accept me. I wanted so badly for my sister to accept me and yeah. not to be angry with me anymore. Wow. And so I bought it and I told her I bought this pillow. You tell me whether it works because if it doesn't work, I'm going to complain to the company. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh
1: my gosh. But yeah, it's funny now thinking about it. But um. <laughs>
0: Do you still have this pillow?
1: It's at home. It's heavy, so I didn't bring <laughs> it to New heavy. Zealand. But <laughs> it's, oh my gosh. it's like one of those memory foam ones, you know? like
0: Oh, yes. Yeah. I've got one. I've got a pretty dense memory foam pillow. It would probably take your whole head off if you had a pillow fight with it. They're pretty heavy.
1: I think so, too. They're
0: yeah, like a bag of yeah, coins. Yeah. yeah, You don't want to throw that at anyone.
1: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but it's so... <laughs> So it's funny, but anyway, she told me that um, after that, I kept asking her like, "So did it work? Did it work?" And then she said that, "Oh, yeah, your snoring kind of reduced in terms of volume."
0: Oh, nice!
1: <laughs> so that's good. But the reason why I'm sharing this is that I was I was trying so hard to buy my way into my family's affections. Mm. I was after, especially after starting to go to church, right? Um, I started to want to be like the Christian, and I wanted to show them. Love and care and affection, and I would be asking them, "How's your day?" And but thinking back about it, like I was doing all these things to manipulate them into giving me love that I felt mm. I deserved from them. Yeah. But I didn't realize it, so I was doing all these things, um, and it wasn't working because mm. I was relying on my own strength. You see. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, but I'll get to that part later. So then. Um, remember how I shared that my relationship ended and that was what got me started thinking about going to church. Mm. So I had a friend at that time who I was going to school with and we were in choir together. We were in the same section and I was, at that point of time, I was the sectional leader. So, but I was very stressed about this role. I felt that I was not prepared to lead section and Mm. so I was facing like constant worries about this but she was in my section together with the other friend, Sweat who brought me to church a few years back Mm. and these two people, they were so supportive of me in my section, they were just yeah, there were times where I was crying from stress Uh, when when the section was scolded, I took it all on myself Mm. and I thought that it was my fault and so they would actually like comfort me and yeah, just tell me that it's fine. And yeah, they were just really supportive friends. At that point of time, Um so this friend, Trisha, just want to name her as well, she was the only Christian friend I knew at that time, other than, you know, Sweat and the other girl, Miss. But I'm not close to them as much um, as Trisha. So just at that point of my life where I felt that I had nothing, uh, just somehow... I started... I think God put these thoughts in me and I, I started to notice like, oh, it seems like with Trisha and another friend, oh, she's... another friend, Sylvia, was also a Christian I knew. I just noticed that they seem to be so at peace with their lives no matter what happens, mm. no matter what stresses they face in school or in family or any bad things that happen, they seem to be just having that peace and... I was curious about it. And that was just what I noticed. And so I just thought, you know, I don't want to cry at home every weekend. Mm. Let me just go to church and see what's there, you know. So in 2013, in October, I remember, I texted Trisha and I said, I think I want to go to church. And she replied me really fast. And she said, oh, um, yeah, you, you can come to my church. And so she was... We went to City Harvest Church, which in Singapore at that time, it was going through a controversy because the pastors, it's a whole story, like, you can Google it if you want, but the pastors were on trial for mishandling the church funds, and so, but honestly, like, I I didn't know any other churches, right, like, so mm. I would obviously go with my friend, you know, and she knew she knew there was a controversy around the church as well, and how that would seem to people outside of church and so she she told me she addressed my concerns without even me speaking up them out she said that look i will go with you to every to every single church until you find one that you're comfortable with mm. um but don't ever feel pressured to stay in this church just because I'm here. Mm. Um, she was just, she just had Jesus in her. Eh? Yeah,
0: you that's know, a, like just that
1: person who...
0: Definitely, definitely has the Holy Spirit working through her yeah, to be able to say stuff like that.
1: Exactly. Yeah,
0: like I'm willing to go as far as it takes to make sure that you have a relationship with Christ. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And awesome. Yeah, and she yeah she was kind of pivotal in my journey knowing God for the first time because she brought me to church and it was very intimidating because it was a massive church so it was an auditorium, auditorium that could sit thousands of people wow. that kind of massive and there were tears all the way up to like third stories and fourth stories and we had a stage as well and I tell you praise and worship in this church it's like a concert. They switch off all the lights. They start to turn on the disco lights and the strobe lights and everything.
0: And <laughs> then... The disco yeah. lights. <laughs> I'm oh serious.
1: And so like, you are just immersed in darkness and just completely in the music. Yeah. And it was intimidating because I was there for the first time. I didn't know what to expect. And mm. so many people I, I didn't know. And I remembered that
0: a strange experience for the first time being in a church because you would have thought about churches and gone, you know, lots of the, the pews and, and <laughs> the priest walking down and the whole Catholic sort of style. Yeah. And to go there and be like, am I in the right building? Like, is uh, Taylor Swift coming out soon? <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: I know. But I guess that was also what got me... Um, attracted to this church as well because music to me means a lot and Mm. just that worship where you are immersed and the fact that they turn off the lights Mm. it just takes that self-consciousness away from you yeah
0: because no one can see you yeah Yeah, and you feel free to
1: raise your hands and just kneel on the floor or just do whatever and Mm. I I don't know but it took me a while to get to that point but At the start, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is big. And also, I remembered the first experience I had in the Pentecostal church as well. That freaked me out. (laughs) So, I went in with a lot of trepidation. And my friend, she said that, she she met me before the church. And she told me what to expect. She said that, this Mm. is going to happen. This is going to happen. People are going to speak in tongues. You might feel a bit weird. You don't have to do it. You don't have to feel compelled to follow. Mm. When they pass the offering back, you don't need to... Feel obliged to do anything. You don't mm. need to put anything in there. Just, yeah, don't feel pressured to do anything. And she said that, so it was a massive hall, right? And she said that um, the cell group that she has is very chill. Like, they would sit at the back and not in the front. So, like, don't worry about, you know, being so rah in the front. We, we are the people who sit at the back and it's fine. Like, we are not the kind of people who, like, mm. are jumping, you know, doing the worship. And, I guess that helped me to like be willing to go um, mm. and experience it for myself.
0: Like stepping stones, slowly yeah. getting, uh, well, putting your foot in the water instead of a uh, big jump off the diving board into the deep end. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. And it helped that she met me the morning of the service to have breakfast before the service started with another friend. Mm. Um, so that helped. And when I first went... So my first service, the 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 worship song was Oceans by Hillsong.
0: Mm, good song.
1: And if you remember, one of the lyrics was, um, take me deeper, something like where my trust is... Huh? failing, yeah. Yeah. Take
0: me out, out onto the waters. Yeah. Something like that, something yeah. Like,
1: something about trust. Mm. And the moment I heard that, I just started bawling my eyes out mm. it was, the tears just can't stop and I just started I just felt that this is really what I want I mm. want to get to a point where I can trust people I can trust that I'm loved mm. um, and all that that pain from you know the breakup and yeah whatever I just felt that it was not erased completely just from that first service but then I did feel that yearning to want to know what it's like to trust again and to love again Mm. um, in a way that is acceptable because, Mm. as I mentioned, my love came with control Mm. and I was loving people that way as well. Um, So after that service, I started going to that cell group with my friend and I never left. So even now that I'm in New Zealand, they are holding online cell group meetings and I'm in I'm joining them every two weeks.
0: That's so cool. So
1: yeah, that was really cool. But at that point of time, um lots of people, even my my mom, she was against the church because everything was in the newspapers about how the pastors were going through the trial mm. and my friends would say like, you can go to church but why go to this church, you know? But this cell group is the reason why I'm going to this church. Mm. The love and the generosity that they showed me is, it's nothing like I've ever experienced From any other group of friends Yeah, And this is the reason I've continued going to this church um, The trial is another thing entirely But we chose to stay in the church So it's been like that For the past 8 years mm. Because I started going in 2013 mm. So yeah And at that point of time um, Because of the breakup I was experiencing um, nightmares every month It started because of I would I would be dreaming about this guy and that girl who broke the relationship up, and then every month it would be a dream about them. Mm. And then it was so hard, and it was it it evolved. Like after going to church for a while, the nightmares continued, but not about them. But it could be he was still in a dream, but it was not a disturbing dream. But it was like it got from extremely upsetting to. Being slightly upsetting, you know, mm. just him, seeing him there in my dream. And then they they evolved to very morbid nightmares, like being hunted down or being killed or me killing someone or my family members dying or, yeah, just things like that. And I thought that I was, it was just a post-traumatic stress thing from the breakup. I thought mm. it was, or maybe it was something about my monthly cycle. I thought it was a hormonal thing and mm. I thought it was perfectly normal, right? Mm. Until I came here and I realized that it's it's demonic.
2: Mm.
1: Um, And there were scriptures to pray against that and to say that because of you, Lord, I sleep and I lie down in peace. Mm. Because you, Lord, alone keep me safe. And yeah, because of the Lord, we can sleep safely and in peace. And I didn't realize, I didn't know about all these things until I came here, Joel. But I was living with Monday nightmares for like Mm. eight years um and also that's also one of my testimonies, which is after knowing that it could be demonic and I tried to I prayed about it, um and started speaking scripture into my sleep mm. and I've been sleeping better. The nightmares haven't been coming yep. for the past few months, which is good. So that's also part of my testimony. But mm. yeah, so at that point of time I was getting those nightmares, right? And I was also um, trying to read a lot of self-help books to try to be a better person on my based on my own knowledge. Mm. <laughs> just because yeah. I didn't know we God. We all know how
0: that works out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I didn't know God. I didn't know the Bible. Yeah. I didn't know the power of the Bible. I just saw the Bible as a collection of stories in a weird language. Mm. And I wasn't compelled to read the Bible. I was just reading a lot of self-help books from... Authors and speakers that Mm. I have heard online or researched about. And I even heard this talk by this person, Marianne something, I can't remember her last name, but she said that she helped to um, save some teenage girls from suicide by just setting, by just doing something very, very simple. And it's setting alarms on their phones twice a day had the messages, I'm enough. So when the alarm rings, you would see, look at your phone, and then the message, I'm enough, is on the screen. So I I started doing that, and I would set the alarms on my phone, and every day I would just see the message, I'm enough, I'm enough. And I don't know whether that helped, because it wasn't God's word, Um, but I feel like God works in ways that are very strange. So He could have put these resources around me Mm -hmm. just for to, to lead me to him, but mm. in a way that I could accept, you know, at the start, just trying to do different things. Mm. Um, I mean, not the best, obviously, but I do acknowledge that they have some kind of impact, I guess, mm. uh, in terms of my inward um, psychological management, I guess. Mm. And going to church at that time was kind of more academic knowledge. Like, I would be sitting passively in church and, hearing what they're telling me about the gospel and the different stories in the Bible and mm. just passively absorbing it. I didn't know what it means to have a relationship with God, to talk mm. to him about what I needed. It was very foreign to me, this yeah. concept. Yeah. And yeah, and I was also grappling with his character, especially in the Old Testament. Mm. I had lots of issues with Exodus, um why would he be killing newborns, you know, uh, firstborn sons of the Egyptians?
2: Mm.
1: I had massive issues with that. I was like, judging God. God can't be doing this. Why are you God? Why mm. why are you doing this to the people? And then, I can't remember who it was, right? Um, but there was a... Somebody recommended the book, The Reason for God, by Timothy Keller. To mm. me. I've read that. Mm. And it was addressing all these difficult questions. And among the questions that I was very interested to know the answers to were, does science disprove Christianity? Mm. And why does bad things happen to good people? Mm. And is there only one God? So I started reading the book and it was, it's hard. It's hard, isn't it? The first chapter, it questions, it questions the assumptions behind your questions. Mm-hmm and it took me so long to get past the first chapter because i was just wait what what did the book just say and i had to think about my own thoughts and what was the assumption behind those thoughts yeah um but it helped it really helped and there was a there was a smaller church in singapore that was conducting book uh, reviews mm. like is it a book review like a book club based mm. on this book and they would They would only want non Christians or new Christians to join. They say that Christians, if you are Christians, you can only join if you are bringing a friend who's a non Christian or a new Christian. So it was a condition for for entrance into the book club, right? Wow. And I was there with a friend. And so we, and it was a really nice book club. They would serve wine and cheese.
0: Nice. <laughs> yeah, it was really
1: nice. And the house was... So the owners of the home hosting the book club, they go mm. to that church and then they are also interior designers. So the whole house is just set up like, yeah, like a five-star restaurant or something. Wow. And just, just a very nice environment. But then they would address all the things and they open up the floor for questions. Mm. Any kind of questions, just ask them and then they would address it and so one thing that um f- for me really helped was having that topic about evolution versus Genesis addressed. Mm-hmm. Because I had a science background. I learned about evolution before I was a Christian. I fully believed in that. And I felt that Genesis was a little bit like fairy tale, like a fairy tale, unbelievable. Yep. And there was a Christian um from this church who was a scientist in this book club mm. that I went to And he talked to me for like, I think, close to an hour. And he said, but think about this, right? And he started to tell me, oh, in Genesis, they say it's a day. But did they say, how many hours are there in a day? Mm. And then I realized, oh, no, they don't. So it could very well be like a few million years or something. I don't know. But that helped me to reconcile um, a lot of concepts in the Bible with my understanding of the world. Mm. And that was, yeah, I highly recommend the book. Um, mm. to anyone who has these questions because it does gets you thinking about God and also lets you reflect about your own thoughts as mm. well and your own beliefs. Yep. So that was really good. And then, so that was one of the experiences I had. And um, at some point, I had to tell my dad that I was going to church, right? Can't hide <laughs> it forever. <laughs> so in two thousand and fourteen, um, I was dating this guy from my cell group, and uh, my dad saw us <laughs> and then obviously, the question would arise as to when I met this guy, right? Mm. So I was really worried about it, but then i I wrote a letter to my dad. Um, I had my friend in my cell group to translate it for me because I wrote the letter in English because I'm very comfortable with English but my Chinese, my written Chinese, well, I would say my spoken Chinese as well is really bad and the main language I communicate with to my dad is Chinese so I had to get my friend to translate the letter for me (laughs) and he translated, he's from China so he translated the letter for me in Chinese and I rewrote the letter in Chinese and I gave it to my dad, and I said, "I want you to read this letter. Um, I, I want you to know why I'm going to church now." And and I was really, I was a little bit worried because he brought us up with so many years of anti-Christian rhetoric, mm. and just me giving him this letter was like a risk. It felt very risky for me, mm. but God was behind it, I guess. Because my dad read the letter in private, and then he came to me. He returned me the letter, and he said thanks for the letter. Um, You are making the wrong choice. He told me clearly, you are making the wrong choice, uh, but I I can't stop you, you know? Because for him, his core belief was he dedicated us to these gods and he knows that he can't control me anymore at this age. Mm. Uh, But he still wanted me to know (laughs) that, yeah, I let him down. um, And I acknowledge that, you know? Because he said he did his research and he spoke to pastors before, deciding you know, what religion to believe in. And he said pastors couldn't answer his questions. So, But thankfully, he didn't stop me going to church, hmm. um, which is something that I'm very thankful for. So I could continue going to church hmm. and I was free from worshipping his God.
0: Hmm. Um, That's huge.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I started having spiritual warfare at home as well. Um, I started having nightmares about the altar in my home. That I would be standing in front of the altar, and I would be looking at this statue of this medium, um, the living Buddha, as they call it. And this this statue would his eyes would be moving at me,
2: mm.
1: but and that terrified me. And I would have this nightmare several times. And the altar was right outside my room, so it was. Very disturbing. It was ironic as well because I grew up seeing this altar as a safe space, as something that was protecting the family. Mm. And then after I became Christian, it was the opposite. Yeah. Um, And also, there was one incident that was very interesting as well when I was uh, a Christian already and I was going to work one morning. um, I left work. And so the altar is positioned in a way where the moment you open my front door, that's mm. what you see. That's the first thing you see. Yeah. So that morning, I was leaving for work and I was closing the door. So that was the last thing I saw when I closed the door. Mm. And this voice came into my head and said, get rid of it. All right. And it was spoken with such authority that I was shocked because I, I don't think that I thought that on my own. Mm. It would destroy my relationship with my dad. Oh. To destroy and get rid of the author. Yeah. And I just... I couldn't make sense of it um, initially, but I do feel like it was from God. Um, And, yeah, it's just something that I didn't understand at that point of time. And the author is still at home, actually. Um, I was being quite sneaky about it, actually. Afterwards, after I heard that, I was kind of just... (laughs) Um taking some of the books that this guy wrote, you know, that were kept in boxes and just throwing them away. You know, I it was just like my own sneaky way of trying to obey what this voice told me to do, but I wasn't completely getting rid of the whole author in a sense. Mm. <laughs> but that was like what I was trying to do. Um on my own. And yeah, and I was still grappling with God about my family why I was in this family, especially Mm -hmm. after seeing my dad and mom fight once Mm. at home. Um, It was really hard. I I was trying to justify for them, giving them reasons why they were behaving that way and um, trying to understand everyone's perspective just to Mm. make myself feel better. And I I see value in that, Um, but at the same time, I needed, there was this deep Yearning in me to be understood myself, to be accepted for who I am, to be validated for how I felt. Because I was perceived to be oversensitive in my family, everyone telling me I should or shouldn't feel this way or think that way. And there was never that true acceptance, I guess, um, from my family members with regards to who I was or how I felt. So I was always questioning my own thoughts as a result, my own thoughts and feelings, thinking I was wrong in some fundamental way. Um, And I started seeing counsellors as well to process my feelings. Mm. Um, And one of my counsellors is a Christian. And she, in one of my sessions, she told me to try to tell myself that I'm loved and I'm accepted. And she said, try that, try to do that every night. And I did it for a while. And then I felt like an imposter. I felt like I was a hypocrite because I wasn't believing what I was saying. And it felt like I was just speaking lies to myself. And at the next session, she asked me how that went. And I told her it was, I can't because it's just not true. I I just told her it's just not true that I'm loved and accepted. It's not true. And she, at that moment, she spoke with such authority. She said, I love you. She said, I love you. And those three words that she said to me, it was very unexpected in a counselling session because a Mm. counsellor to a client, you know, you don't say such things. Mm. But then when she said that, I just felt like that was God speaking through her. Mm. And I couldn't fully accept it at that point of time, but it touched me deep enough to stop me talking
0: mm, and wow. to just
1: look at her for a few seconds and to kind of just let that sink in. Wow. Yeah. So I thought that was something interesting. So like, even as a new Christian, like I was still struggling, you know, I was still kind of uh, not mm-hmm. seeking God and not knowing who he is, but he was kind of using all these people around mm. me, like what you mentioned before, mm. um, to show me his love.
0: Oh he's the most patient God ever. Um, you've got all these other gods that are very impatient. They demand sacrifices and they demand obedience, where well, you've got God who is running and throwing cards and flowers and chocolates at you your whole life going, "I love you," and I'm doing everything I can for you and your heart. And because Christianity is the only religion on the planet where it's not mankind trying to break into heaven trying to have enough good deeds to make it into heaven instead it's god trying to get himself to mankind
1: Mm. it's the
0: other way around and um that we can't do anything in our power to get to heaven Mm. so god goes and fixes that and it that shows the the integrity and and the heart behind God has for us and all his creation is just that we know that we're loved and that we're created for a relationship and that God is striving after our hearts. God owns everything on the planet. He owns everything in the universe. And the one thing that he wants that has to be freely given is our heart. That's the one thing you can't take. It has to be freely given. And I can definitely tell in your story, God is just chasing you and chasing you and chasing you.
1: I know, right? It's just so interesting. Yeah, thinking back about it because I didn't realize it. Mm. I was still, I've, I guess the best way to put it is I felt like I was still immersed in my own. Negativity and my own unworthiness, you mm. know, I was kind of still drowning in that sense.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, relying on people to pull me out, but not realizing it's only God who can do that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it takes time for people to get to that stage, I think. Mm. Um, and even, yeah, and. <laughs> God used, like, God can use anyone, right? Anyone, Mm. any event, any situation. And He used, like, this person as well, um, who I started dating afterwards. Um, He was part of this organization that was really into personal development and growth, coaching you out of your own trauma and into, like, a new life in that sense but not biblical related. So they were a mm. coaching company oh, yeah. and they conducted these courses that would get, get you working through all those like things that you buried and you, you refuse to look at or you avoid or you yeah just bury within yourself. But unknowingly, they are controlling how you perceive the world and how you interact with people and even mm. your goals for yourself. Everything is linked back to trauma. And I believe in that. I believe that your early childhood experiences can really shape your perception of people and how you talk to
0: people. Mm. Yeah, so... The Bible talks about um, being transformed by the renewal of your mind. So even when you're like... that's Everybody's got a journey. Mm. You know, in other words, everyone has it wrong. Doesn't matter how you were brought up, you've got it wrong. You've got to go through the process of... um, making your mind totally blank and saying lord teach me i'm not going to take my old mentality of of what my parents taught me even if they were christians i'm going to submit everything i know to you mm-hmm. and let god shape your life let the bible shape your life instead of let letting your life shape the bible you know like a lot of people have the bible and they Cherry pick all the different scriptures And they go Oh yeah God says You know I don't know Jesus turned water to wine That means I can get drunk Every Every day You know Because yeah. Jesus did it um, And it's like Well No You gotta look Don't cherry pick And take one little scripture Just look yeah. at the whole thing As a As As, uh, as a huge uh, Roadmap And yeah. you gotta take All of it in And let, let your Bible Be shaped by that Rather than You shape what you want in the Bible. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. And I I like how you mentioned that because I was doing that for a while. Like, mm. there's a verse in Matthew 24, I think. I'm not sure the exact verse, but there's one verse that says, um, I will come to bring conflict between father and mother and husband mm. and wife and, you know, parents and children and brother and sister. Mm. And, the context of that verse was about how people will be persecuted in Jesus' name, and yeah. even families will turn on one another because of Jesus. Mm. I took that verse and said that, "Oh, look! Even the Bible says that I will have conflict with my family." Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like you know, I I can be angry with my family, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It was yeah. It was very really funny <laughs> thinking bad about that, but yeah. But now that I know the context, I know that that wasn't what it meant. Um, but yeah, so I went through the personal development course and mm. it got me to look at all my memories from when I was younger and how that when left unresolved, when when I had emotions about that grief or sadness or anger that I was still bottling up mm. based on that thing from the past that yep. was not released, that was not expressed in any way, that causes me to... That stops me mm. in my daily living now from breaking through with some people or you know you know how sometimes you have triggers. Um you it might be perfectly fine like for me to know that somebody is eating meat, but then mm. it's it's really not fine for me to know that somebody is abusing their children. Like it's just like the degree of your emotion towards something mm. that kind of tells you like whether it was a trigger. And so in this course, they believe that all triggers are unresolved traumas. And so I had to work through and really think about how my whole life was shaped around things I was holding on to. And I processed that in the courses. Mm. And um, really, one of the activities that I felt really interesting was they would get this person to be in front of you and this person would represent your deepest insecurity and you would have to let them know what it is obviously Mm. and so they would speak it out to you and it's a whole room right so we would start at the end of the room I have to push this person all the way to the other end of the room while this person is telling me my deepest insecurity to myself and pushing back. And it was that it was the physical effort of pushing through your insecurities and walking through them to realize that everything is in your head. Mm. You know? Um, and it goes really deep, honestly. They exhaust you. They the course starts at like eight in the morning and ends at two AM and it's like one of those things where they exhaust you so that you can experience breakthroughs. Um, and to be honest, this company, I felt it's not... Um, they they dabble a little bit in the occult as well. So the people in the company, they would share about how... Oh, when the moon is aligned or whatever, they would go out and they would harness the energy of the whatever. I I don't know what they were doing. Um, And the founder of the company, he used to be Christian, but he turned back, he turned away, and he started to believe in his own abilities. And it was very obvious from the way he was talking to us about how he could do things and how he could do this and that and, you know, spiritual things. Um, So I... Don't feel like really proud of having gone through this course but I see how I benefited from what the course taught us. You know, just being more aware of things that was holding me back and it was actually this course that got me speaking to each of my family members having that honest, courageous conversation with them Mm. about things that happened in the past that I wasn't addressing um, before letting them know, look I love you but these things happened and I felt sad and I don't expect an apology or anything. I just wanted to let you know how I really feel uh, because I've been holding that for so long. Um, And it kind of, yeah, started some reconciliation Mm. uh, with my family. But yeah, it was was a strange season of my life where I was very involved with this organisation. I started Mm. volunteering for them because... I felt that I believed in what they were doing, but they also used shame to run the organization. Mm. And I was picked out for my faith uh, by the founder of the company multiple times and literally being persecuted in Jesus' name, right? He would single single me out and tell everyone like, oh, you go to church, but like, do you think about what's in the Bible? Do you read, do you question what's in the, the Bible? And then he would tell and you're me, "You're like
0: yes, <laughs> because I read the you know the Timothy Keller book, and and it's like yes, I do." <laughs>
1: yeah, so in that in that context, I didn't feel courageous enough to speak up because mm. it was a group setting, and True. it felt yeah. everyone was against me. And yeah, I was humiliated for my faith, um, and I was I felt this deep sense of discomfort, but. I was still involved with it because I was dating this guy who was very heavily involved with Mm. the cause, right? And then it was, yeah, it was kind of a weird season of my life, but I eventually ended the relationship because he started questioning my faith as well. Um, He was open to learning about Christianity, but then, and he was questioning, but I think questions are good. Mm. because I had lots of questions when I started going to church but then he would start to say things like you are not ready to know the truth I know more than you but you don't know mm. Christianity is just a small part of what is really happening in the spiritual world and you can believe in, in this God but then mm. like there's so much more you don't know and you are not ready to know and he was saying things like that to me and I got really uncomfortable uh, I started to doubt God mm. and just didn't have peace about it and I prayed because I don't easily break up with people actually I I believe that every relationship can work out if both parties are willing to restore mm. and reconcile and work things out and so I was praying to God about it I said God if this person is meant to be in my life can you give me peace about it because now I don't have peace and if not then let me have peace to go separate ways mm. And, it was, and I was fasting about it as well. It was kind of the first time I fasted for anything because I was kind of in distress of, over whether or not to end this relationship.
2: Mm.
1: And I fasted and prayed for a week. And at the end of the week, um, we had a small little argument. It was very minor. It was just about him forgetting that I was fasting, you know. Mm. <laughs> and um, And he broke up with me at the end of the argument. And for me, that was God's answer to me. That mm. I am not meant to be with this person, and yeah, and so that was the first time uh, in my Christian walk that I saw the power of fasting and prayer. Because previously, I always thought, ah, prayer is just you know something frivolous to do. Mm. Like you can do it, but then I don't know, like who?
0: It's really powerful. How how
1: can God be a friend? You, know, I I didn't understand yeah. that concept. Cause for me, God was just somebody who is not bothered with
0: us. Yeah, deism, which is when God is true and he, he exists, but he's so far beyond us, why would he care about his creation in that sense, that we're more or less an afterthought. Yeah. Um. In the same sense as why would we, why would we care for an ant,
2: mm.
0: that it's, their, their whole comprehension, an aunt can't comprehend what we can comprehend. So why would God care for us when we can't comprehend what God can comprehend? Same thing. Exactly. Mm.
1: And I think God used this experience to make me realize that mm. he listens yeah. to my prayers. And he does. And fasting works. Mm. Um, and so I started fasting for my family. I started fasting every week. I heard this um, testimony from this—I'm um, not sure if she's a pastor—but basically, this this lady with her husband who were fasting and praying for their son uh, who turned away from God and was dabbling in drugs and ended up in prison and just yeah, mm-hmm. many many years of like being taken over by the enemy. They fasted for him every week for eight years and he came back to Christ and he started going around the world to share the gospel with his parents. And it touched me so much and I thought, wow, she has such faith that she can pray and fast every week for eight years and why why don't I do that for my family? So mm. I started praying and fasting for restoration of relationships in my family and I honestly didn't know how it was going to turn out because I was just let me just see how this goes, you know, Mm. fasting once a week, intermittent fasting. For me, it was like just a 12-hour fasting is manageable. And then, so I started doing that for like maybe since two years, three years ago. Um, And then in that period of time, I also read a book that was about, the title was, Will I Ever Be Good Enough? And it spoke to me so much and the author was a lady who had a mom who was narcissistic. So narcissistic personality disorder, um, that that would be people who are very self-absorbed and they have no regard for other people's feelings. They feel that everyone should be giving them the attention. Mm. And so she was writing about her own experiences because she said there's not enough content there out there for people to understand that not everyone grew up with loving parents and she wanted to share her own experiences mm. so that people can relate to that and understand that it's normal yeah. not to have that loving parents, I guess, that you would expect to have. So I benefited from this book because she said that we have to go through a grieving process, a process where we acknowledge that we are sad and but we accept that our family will never be the perfect family that we want Mm. to have and I, I had to do that and, and I never realised, Joe, how much I put um, my identity, my hope, my, I don't know, my entire being on just having the perfect family Mm. and when I went through the grieving process, it was just, you know, on my bed when, just before I slept and I had to release um, that family I wanted. And I couldn't bear the thought of releasing it. It was so hard mm. because it was something I was holding on to for like almost 30 years, you know? And, I just, and it was something that for me, it was my reason for living. It was like, I'm striving to get my family's affections. I want my family mm. to be what I see in the movies. I want us to celebrate Christmas together. I want us to have grace. I want us to... <laughs> Just do things for each other, and mm. I will be even be hanging like little banners around the house with messages about family, love in a family, and how there should be grace for mistakes and just like little things to manipulate, right? Trying to control everything to yep. shape my family to be how I wanted them to be. Yeah, and yep. so just thinking about releasing this perfect family, it was unbearable for me. But and then I was thinking, I need to release it to somebody. To something that I can trust, and the only thing that I could trust was God. Mm. And so that was in 2019. I went through that grieving process, and in that process, I was. I just told God, God, I'm going to give you my perfect family, and I don't know what you are going to do with it, but I can't imagine anyone else who's going to take care of this mm. other than you. And it was so hard, like now just thinking about it, I was just, I couldn't stop crying because it was such a vulnerable moment, you know, um, to just surrender, to just completely surrender to God. And and it's true, one of your previous podcasts said the opposite of faith is not unbelief, but it's control. Mm. And I felt that in that moment, I went through that, just completely giving my family to God and telling him that I don't want to do anything anymore. I don't want to strive anymore for mm-hmm. my family's affections. I just I just give this to you and I accept that they will never be the family that I want them to be. And I just give it to you, God, to take care of it. Yeah. And so it's so true that you know in Psalm six it says the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping and He has heard my pleas and He accepts my prayers. Because I didn't realize it at that point of time, but God heard that and He took that. And since I came to New Zealand, I was put in a position where I could not control anything that has that, that's happening in my family. Mm. I couldn't ask them on a daily basis, how were their days, I couldn't care for them when they are sick. I couldn't literally do anything for them. Mm. I couldn't like try to win their affections with my own strength. But God did so many miracles with each of my family members that completely shocks me. And I'm going to share some of that. So, um, throughout... My time in New Zealand, I was not seeking God. I was actually just, um, like what you mentioned, God was seeking me like a lost sheep, right? I was just kind of like, oh, I'm a Christian. I want to go to church. I want to be in a cell group here, but I don't know how. And I'm just like a passive Christian, right? Just like, mm. oh, that, that things happen when it, ha- when it happens. But God was kind of speaking to me as well. Like in the lockdown... I was listening to this sermon by Christine Kane, who is a pastor in Australia, and she had a childhood that was very traumatic. She was sexually abused and then she was an unwanted child. She was put up for adoption and so like all those things about abandonment and rejection and abuse was going on in her life, but then she became a pastor and now she's advocating for the um for the freedom of child slaves in the human trafficking uh, network, she has actually gone to free and liberate some of the people who were caught wow. in this network. And it's just really cool. But one of her sermons, it was so powerful. She was just saying like, um, telling the story of Adam and Eve in the garden and how the serpent convinced Eve to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge, right? And... Um, she said that what the devil does is try to put doubt in you about God. And the serpent asked Eve, who told you that you can't Mm. eat of the fruit? Who is the one who tells you this? And she actually turned that around and she said, who told you that you are unwanted? Who told you that you are not loved? Who told Mm. you that you are not a beloved child of God? That's Um, amazing, yeah. Yeah, and when she said who told you so many times in this sermon... I was just literally, I was like, I don't know, I just felt like it was hitting me Mm. repeatedly, not in a painful way, but in a, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, Mm. I, who told me actually that I'm unwanted in my family?
0: Yeah, it's not God.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it was just, it was, it was my interpretation of my mom's reaction Mm. of my dad's reason for keeping me and I believe that And I put everything on that, but it's not true. And that was one of the things that God started breaking in Mm. me, that stronghold. He started to break that with this. And it wasn't even just this pastor who said this message to me. Mm. There was another pastor who said it in a separate sermon in another country. I can't remember. I was listening to different online sermons at that time. Mm. But the same message was said and... Um I heard that. And also in February last year my cell group leader in Singapore, Esther, she started to pray to call me every week and to pray with me. Wow. Uh-huh. And that was I guess a turning point as well, being in New Zealand. Um because for me prayer was there was a prayer shame actually. I I didn't realise I had that, but I was ashamed of speaking out my prayers, mm. it was always in my head. And I felt that I didn't have the good, the right words. I didn't have a prayer long enough to be considered a good Christian. <laughs> and, um, you know, all this performance anxiety yeah. around prayer. But just having that call with Esther uncovered that and God redeemed that part as well. Because mm. Esther is somebody who, um, she's honestly... Yeah, just one of the most amazing people I've ever had the privilege of being a friend with. She's just so unabashedly vulnerable with you. She gives that space for you to share everything Mm. that you need with no judgment. And so just her listening to the Holy Spirit's call to call me every week. It really helped me. Initially, I was actually having anxiety over the calls because I would think, oh my gosh, now I need to pray to Esther. And and I can't pray. I can't do it well. And I was just thinking, oh my gosh, now I need to pray again. And it was a lot of that, yeah, the fear, you know, in my life Mm. over everything I was doing. But I think God just wanted to break that through Mm. and just, you know, yeah. remove that from my life. So I I got into that prayer with her and what no matter what I prayed or how I prayed, she would say, yes, amen. And she would not say anything about the prayer. And so mm. I started to become more confident in praying out loud, in praying for her as well because I saw myself as someone who was broken and could not give anything to anybody. But she trusted me with her life. She would tell mm. me, oh, today I was a little bit stressed and... I was feeling insecure about my work and Mm. like how whether I'm a good mom and she would just share about her life so openly with me that I would be thinking, who am I that you would be to share all these things with me? Mm. Um, Who am I to be giving anything back to you? Because you are the one who's giving to me. But she trusted me to be that person for her and she brought that out of me, I guess.
2: Um,
1: And so even now, I'm still praying every week with her. We arrange a time every week. And, I can't tell you how much difference it makes to have somebody set aside that time in their life for you
0: It's true discipleship right there, yeah 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 everyone needs that like Jesus his last um, command for us was you know not just to go out and preach the gospel but to go out and make disciples of everybody so um there's a a statistic and um with, with China, you know, um, if you, with the day of Pentecost, we had, there was 3,000 people saved in that one day. Mm. And in, in China, that amount of people is saved and more every day in these underground churches. Now, if China stopped populating, just China, and um, there was 3,000 people saved every single day, how long would it, say, would it take just to save China? And it's like 700 years.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow.
0: That's if they stop populating. Oh, true. <laughs> and because um, more cause more, pe- more than 3,000 people are born every day, day yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So um, now the question is, is if just every Christian in, in the world saved one person a year and then that person and discipled them. And then that person went out and saved one person the following year. How many years would it take for the whole planet to receive Christ? It's something like seven years. Oh, wow. So we actually all just need to disciple one person Mm. a year. If you can disciple more, that's good. But that's your job as a Christian. Go out and make disciples. Yeah. Don't go out and convert a whole bunch of people. Definitely do that. But have a real priority on discipling each other, championing each other and saying, Claire, you can pray and God will, will hear your prayers. Then mm-hmm. uh, then nobody's got a perfect prayer. And if you want to just say the heavenly um you know, uh thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, pray that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Use the scripture to pray. Use the
0: scripture to pray. But that's what brings us um that discipleship is fully key because each time that we disciple each other that's what produces fruit and that's what allows us to be grafted in to the tree of life. Yeah. Really, really cool that, um Esther, shout out to you Esther for discipling Claire from another country that really is going the extra mile. <laughs> yeah, and
1: Esther, you don't even have to do any of this, but you did it and You mean so much to me. Honestly, she knows this. We talk, yeah, every week we pray for each other. I thank God for her, honestly, because she has brought me so much closer to Him. Mm. And she is not discipling just me in Singapore. She's doing so many things for different people. (laughs) And I have seen with my own eyes how she is a wife, she's a mom, and she's, you know, yeah, just being a friend and a Mm. cell group leader and just. She's just so amazing, Joel. And it's really God in her. Mm. And not just her, but Tricia as well. That, that first friend who brought me to church. yeah, She's the first person to accept everything that I was saying. And she... So, when I broke up with this person, and I was going through a very really hard time, you know, as a friend, mm. the easiest thing for you to do is just to shame my ex, right? You would just, like, say his such a bad person Mm. and he's like the worst person and I'm better off without him but these words did nothing for me because Mm. I was with this person for so long he was my best friend Mm. and I had no peace hearing people shame him you know and Trisha was somebody who did not do that and Mm. she told me that look you both are not bad people you're just not men for each other maybe Mm. and it's hard to see that now, but in future, maybe you will. And she always spoke with compassion Mm. towards people. And even sharing like things that I've done before, my transgressions with Trisha, she didn't even give me any kind of judgment. And Mm. it's the same with Esther. And it's really Christ that's living in them and Mm. not them. Um, And that, has made such a big difference in my walk with God and Mm. in knowing His character as a person and as a God and as a Father, Mm. you know. Um, So, yeah, Esther is just, yeah, an amazing person. And so she was the one to pray with me, to lead me to a group here in New Zealand. Uh, Previously, I was working Sunday, so I couldn't Mm. go to church and then lockdown happened and then cell groups were not happening. And so yeah. it was kind of yeah we prayed about it for a few months and in July last year I joined mm. Josh's cell group yeah that we go to together and that was how I met you yeah I believe yeah <laughs> shout <And> out
0: Josh <laughs> yeah
1: so yeah that was an answer to our prayers mm. um and coming to city impact being part of this group um Seeing and witnessing how each person has such a strong relationship with God mm. instead of being a passive listener and receiver of the word, but really like seeking it out, questioning it, mm. wrestling with it, and coming to a new understanding and mm. relationship with God. That inspires me so much because that was not how I had Christianity back home. Mm. I was a very passive absorber of what was told mm. to me, and I never had that personal understanding of who God is, and yeah, it inspires me seeing everybody have that here. And in fact, one of the first services I went to was, I think when Pastor Tom was speaking, and he said, he was sharing a message about um, how we have worth in Christ. And he shared Psalms 139. And that was the first service that I heard, and I learned that we can use scripture as a shield, mm. as, a, as a sword, because I never did that before. For mm. me, the Bible was just, ah, just a Bible to read, you know. Yeah. But then, in his message, he and Pastor Jocelyn, they spoke so firmly and strongly about rooting ourselves in the Word, mm. using the Word to speak against any lies in our head. And Psalms 139 actually spoke directly about all my unworthiness. You know, because Psalms 139 says, I actually wrote it down here, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, the night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Mm. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And this spoke directly to my sense, my belief that I was not wanted. Mm. And it spoke to me that God actually made me before my parents even decided to have me. And there was a reason that He made me and Mm. He put me on this earth. And I wrote it down. After listening to that service with Pastor Tom, I went home, I wrote down this whole psalm and I kept it by my bed and I kind of clipped it to my light so that I would see it whenever I turn on my light or Mm. turn off the light. And I would read it to myself um, occasionally just to remind myself. And I think that was the first time that I bothered speaking scripture into my life. Mm. Um, using it to break strong holes, and it really works. And now I have a whole list of scripture <laughs> in my phone, on random pieces of That's paper so cool. in my room. Yeah. yeah.
0: There's a, an amazing app called um, Shut Up Devil. Oh, I heard about that. And uh, it's brilliant. So uh, you can put in uh, whatever you want to pray against. Uh, yeah. It could be anxiety or anger or whatever, and uh, it, it equips you with biblical scripture to uh, pray with yeah uh, really good really good we used it when um, my nephew had cancer and oh. um, yeah I was praying firmly and using that app a lot yeah and um, I you know he's he does not have cancer so Amen. Yeah. yeah he totally healed um, and just you yeah, what a testimony uh, yeah, really is. really cool
1: I remember there was a, a long period of time when the church was praying for him.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's awesome.
0: That's good. Yeah. yeah.
1: And I heard about the Shut Up Devil from one of your previous episodes.
0: So, oh, true. <laughs> so I went to download
1: it and <laughs> I actually used it for a while. Yeah, um, cool. it is useful. Yeah. yeah. it's good. I like definitely. it. Yeah, when you can when you don't know where in the Bible to look, like that would kind of help you to narrow things down.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because the Bible's a big book and and especially when you just want to pray and you want to use scripture, but you know, you're like most people and not everyone can memorize the whole Bible. Yeah. <laughs> and just pull scripture out. <laughs> um I'm definitely not one of those people, so it's very very good. I'm very much technologically Reliant, <laughs> independent <laughs> these days.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, that's good. Yeah. So, so God kind of revealed to me bit by bit the things in my life, the areas that I needed to surrender to Him, and how mm. I inadvertently gave power to little idols that I I did not realize were idols. So I would I would say with my mouth that oh, Jesus is the Son of God, and mm. He gave us gave us the freedom from sins and. Yeah, but I would have unresolved feelings with my family, mm. leaking out, right? Like I would post things on social media. You know how when you're upset with someone and you don't dare to talk to them directly and then you'll post things on social media just to give them a message like, <laughs> you are following me on social media, so you should see this message and you should realize that it's for you. <laughs> so I was doing that a lot. Yeah. Uh, with regards to my family, I would, you know, from all those material I was consuming about self help, about families, about how how you communicate with love to somebody, mm. I would post things on social media that I think my family should see.
0: Mm. Almost passively aggressively. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes.
1: There's a lot of passive aggressiveness, um, and then but then my whole mind became became consumed by that. Yeah. I, I would be seeking out teachings about how parents should treat their kids how um, discipline should be done mm. with love. And I would just like be licking out all these little things mm. and God revealed to me that, okay, this is not from God. This mm. is an idol. This is something that is not, I would say, biblical. Mm.
2: Um,
1: so, yeah. So that was one of the reasons why I deleted my Instagram account because like I wanted to stop doing mm. all that. Um, and yeah that's just one of the areas you know like there's there's also something else he revealed to me that since i'm came since I came to New Zealand that I was also worshipping money mm. all my actions around money was to make more money and yeah just feeling resentful towards people who are making more money than me and just like a whole thing right and so he also revealed that to me and yeah, God did so many things um since I came to New Zealand and yeah, and I guess for me, knowing his word was something that I was trying to um, transform into believing it in my heart, in in a way, mm. because I know that he will never leave me nor forsake me, because that's what scripture says, but then there are moments where I experience anxiety because certain situations trigger that, um, and yeah. So, I was still working through that. And then, um but like I mentioned, back to my family. So, things happen in my family that I cannot explain. Mm. I cannot boast about them because I did nothing to, mm. to result in these things happening. But um my mom, she... So, my mom is somebody who doesn't answer the phone when I'm in... When, like her phone is something that she uses to check the time and yeah, go on Facebook. Like she doesn't use her phone to call anything, you know? Okay. Like, so when we are in Singapore, calling my mom, it means calling like, like like trying to speak to a wall or something because <laughs> the phone would ring six times, it would go to voicemail and it would never be answered and she would never check her voicemail. So it was something that, okay, just don't do that. If you want to contact my mom, just don't call her, just text her or just, yeah, talk to her at home. And so in New Zealand, like, I would never uh, call my family to keep in touch with them. It was Mm. always through texting. And then, um, for some weird reason, you know, throughout this time, I was praying and fasting Mm. for restoration in my family, right? So, at some point, earlier this year, my mom started suggesting calling me to talk. Mm. And that, for me, was very strange yeah. because I have never experienced this before and she called so we arranged a time and then we we spoke and it was actually a conversation about my life and it was it was actually her interest in in my life and it was new it was very new to me because I had never had this kind of genuine attention for her for like that period of dur- for that duration of time mm. if that makes sense. It was always more of a transaction in that sense that okay, we have talked about what we need to talk about and so mm. like, I need to do my own things now and you like just go do your own things. Mm. But in that conversation and subsequent conversations, we were talking for like two hours and at some point close to the hour mark, I say, oh do you need to Do something, like do you need to go and buy some groceries or like get on with your life? Because I assume that I still assume at the time that I'm a burden to her Mm. and that I shouldn't take up too much of her time. And she said, No, I'm not. Like we can just continue talking. She said, Mm. I'm just going to walk home from the park now. And yeah, and so just her choosing to give me that time without putting any restrictions, Mm. it was very new to me. And Mm. it was something that I It's not something I asked her to do. I didn't ask her, mom, can you give me two hours of your time? Mm. I didn't do anything like that. I felt that God allowed it and made it possible for Mm. that to happen. So that was something that happened with my mom that redeemed that part of, you know, her rejecting me as a kid. And Mm. even something that happened just last month was that my cell group, Esther, she wanted to send me like a birthday box, I guess, of food from Singapore that I can't find here in New Zealand. Oh, cool. So it was really cool. Yeah, they are so nice. And so they sent me like chili sauce and, you know, curry sauce and just all these different things that uh, remind me of Singapore. Mm. And I also requested, can I have some of my clothes sent over to me, please? Because I have (laughs) so many summer clothes in Singapore. Oh, true, because it's always
0: hot. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> and I have
1: not worn them for two years since I came to New Zealand, and I was surviving remarkably remarkably well on a very small wardrobe. <laughs> um, here for two years, and so I told my I told Esther I said, "Could you please liaise with my mom? Like I would yeah. let her know, and then I want some of my summer clothes sent over." And so, this is a favor that I needed to ask from my mom. And as I shared before, I never ever asked mm. her for favours because it was never accepted in that sense. Uh, I had to settle everything on my own, but now I was praying to God. I said, um, if it's your will, let this be possible. It's still a little bit scary for me to ask my mom for things sometimes, but then I just did it anyway and I asked her, um, Esther is going to send me a whole box of things and I want some of my summer clothes. Could you take a photo of like all the clothes I have in my wardrobe and can you send them over to me?
0: Oh my god! And
1: my mom actually did that. She actually took out all my clothes, laid them out on my bed and then she took like four different photos and she sent them to me. And then not only that, I also had to pick out the clothes and she had to do it for me, right? Because they had to decide how to pack it in a box, make it fit, you know, with the other things. And she did that at, I was. I knew that I was pushing my limits at that point. Like, I was pushing boundaries by asking yeah. my mom to pick out the clothes for me. And, and I was telling her, like, I want this and I want this. Can you check whether this is there? And, you know, I was just asking a lot of things from her. And at that point of time, I was, in my head, it was more like I was trying my luck.
2: Mm. Because
1: I have never done this before. And she willingly did everything that I asked. And... And it got to the point where she was so exhausted because she's, yeah, my mom is not young. She looks young, but she's not young. And for her to have done all that for me, it touches my heart so much. Mm. Um, it meant a lot to me. And I told her that I said, thank you so much for doing all this, even though you felt like fainting at the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> because, just because it's so hot and, you know, there were so many things yeah. to pack. um But yeah, that was how God kind of redeemed that, yeah. With my mom about being rejected and unwanted and being a burden, like I know now that I'm not mm. because of these little things. Mm. Um, and that was pretty amazing. And she even, you know, because of COVID, she she used to be a tailor. She would sew her own dresses, so she sewed me some fabric masks and mm. she sent them over as well. Oh, I actually have it now. This, this is oh, wow. made by my mom. Um, yeah. So it's pretty cool, actually. Like, it's just special knowing that she did it. She
0: made it, yeah.
1: For me, you know? That's very cool. Yeah. And, yeah, so love you, mom. if you're listening to this. <laughs>
2: um.
1: So that was with my mom, And then that whole thing with my dad. So one of my friends in Singapore, she's quite close friends with my dad because they, they are in the same religion. Mm. That was how we knew each other. Because when we were younger, my dad and her dad would, like, they would be brothers kind mm. of in that religion, and then, uh, they would bring us to the prayer meetings, and then, we were the same age, so, yeah, we kind of made friends, and she has very, very good Chinese, so she speaks with my dad very easily, and mm. she is somebody who would, who had, she had a very different dad from my dad, so her dad was someone who was very nurturing, mm. and, we, we speak openly about this, right? Like, um, she, she could see that I was getting a different kind of um, discipline from my father than she was. And she understands everything that I was going through. So I even shared with her what my dad said to me about keeping me for the money mm. that the government was giving. And she felt indignant on my behalf, actually. She said that, why is your father saying these things to you? Like, you should tell him that he shouldn't say these things to you. And I said, no, I'm not going to tell him anything because... I, it's not my position. Like, for mm. me, telling my dad these things, it, it it doesn't work. It doesn't do anything to resolve things, you know? Mm. It just makes things worse. So, I just said that, yeah. And so, I have this hurt and I told her that before I came to New Zealand. And for some reason, she was also struggling with her mum. So, she mm. was fine with her dad, but she was struggling with similar things with her mom, And I kind of... Listen to what she was going through with her mom um, over the lockdown. And I guess I also prayed for her, although she's not a Christian. Yeah, but we, we had that bond, I guess, like, that we share from similar experiences. So for some reason, um, a few months back, she spoke to my dad about something about investments and stuff. But the conversation led on to this conversation mm-hmm. with me, like what happened with me. And she told my dad that... She she confronted my dad about it, actually. Uh, She said that, why did you tell this to to Miao Tin? You know, you shouldn't have said this to her because you really hurt her feelings. And she spoke on my behalf, even though I didn't ask her to do anything about it. And and my dad, I think he just was... He did not expect her to say this to him, right? Um, But maybe it got him thinking, because they are good friends so he could take what she said without being offended. Yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, and then after she spoke to my dad, she called me the following week and she apologized. She said, I'm sorry I told him that you, tell, you told me about this incident. I'm so sorry I spoke without getting your permission but then I just had to do it because I just felt like he had to know mm. and he should know, you know, how this make you feel and I don't know, like, I didn't ask for this to happen, but I think something in that got my dad to think about things. Mm. And yeah, and my dad called me one day. He never calls me. He hardly calls me. Like if he calls me, it would be just talking about uh transactional things. Like my bank account, I got a letter from something and you know, all those like random stuff. Yeah. But there was one day that he called me and it happened to be at night when I was just going to bed. And the phone was just next to me and I just answered the phone and he asked me something about my bank or insurance plan or Mm. something. Then he continued talking and asked me about my life in New Zealand, which again, is a complete surprise because this never happens.
0: Interested in your life and what's going on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I was just thinking, why are you asking me this? This is so weird. Like, I never ever tell you about my life before and you are never interested anyway but he was asking about it and he ended up saying that oh you know if the borders weren't closed he wishes that he could come here and give me a hug and Aww. he says that he really thinks about me often and how i am and i was very shocked i hmm. it, it's it's sweet but i'm not i'm not used to it i appreciate it but then my reaction was not, oh, I love you too, dad. It was Mm. like more of the, okay. (laughs) 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 Okay, you're saying this to me, really?
0: (laughs) Wow. Are you dying?
1: (laughs) (laughs) But that was very unexpected because my dad, he never ever wishes to travel to any other country except for China. He Mm. loves China a lot and all his holidays every year are to China. And he doesn't like Western food, and yeah, he he mm. frequently voices out his, op- his opinions, right? So I know he will never want to do those things, but just him saying that he wishes he could fly here just meant a lot to me mm. um, because it was kind of the first time that I saw him acknowledge me as his daughter, as somebody who is separate from my relationship with my siblings and separate from the family, but he was acknowledging me mm. as a specific individual in his life mm. and that was something that only God could do. Mm. Something that I think that was the only it was a door that only God could open mm. I guess. Um, and he he started doing things like going for baking classes because he knows that I like baking. He went for
0: baking classes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and
1: he, he, he says he doesn't like baking but he says that he just wanted to understand why I like baking. So he went so he went for a baking class wow. and it wasn't even one class, it was a series of classes with an exam at the end of the course. <laughs> and he would send me photos of his cupcakes and his little things that he made and he would say that oh my icing looks very ugly and then I would Yeah, it's just it's just weird like to know that he's he's having a desire to connect mm. on my terms. Yeah. It was very strange. It was very strange, but I see God working in that.
0: That's amazing, And
1: it's amazing. I know, it's really amazing and yeah, even things with my siblings as well you know, me and my siblings, we were very detached, we mm. were not close, we would just be um, just occasionally asking oh how are you, oh I'm good and that's it. There was never that like true connection mm. but this, just these two years being here in New Zealand, my brother and sister, we have our own chat separate from my parents right, so um, my brother would just randomly suddenly just ask, how are we doing? Even though it was back in Singapore, mm. it was... My brother lived separate from us because he's married. And so we were all also living like mm. differently, you know, but he would not ask to ask us how we are as regularly as he had been doing since I came to New Zealand. And I see God doing that as well. Mm. Um, and it wasn't just a transactional question. It was him asking... And then I would be sharing about all oh, my job and my boss and my stress about my visa and yeah, just things like that. And then he would actually respond to that, mm. like, yeah, like someone listening would, um. Mm. And so that was amazing. That was pretty amazing as well. And the same with my sister. I mean, that that rejection that I always encountered from her. Mm. Um. It got redeemed when two years ago, during my birthday she she just sent me a birthday package out of nowhere. This never ever happens when I'm in Singapore um she would always ask me what I wanted before my birthday, or she would buy like very safe things, like things that are um yeah like harry potter related because she knows that i like harry potter right so (laughs) she would just send me like little yeah just little things like that but that surprise package was a risk on her part because she didn't ask me about it before she Mm. decided to buy it but she made a decision on her own that i might need these things and she decided to get it and i know that this sounds very weird like this could be a norm in most families every year but for me it was very new because it never ever happened before Mm. and that moment that I received the package I just yeah I was speechless I was just I just felt so um seen Mm. that's the best way to say it I felt so seen by my sister um and
0: so your so your whole life you've almost felt unseen and invisible in your family, being the youngest child, um, as someone who might have been a surprise in the family. Um, And it's interesting how, listening to you, you've got um, all these events that happen, and God's saying, you're not invisible, you're seen. I see you. You're not unloved, you're loved. You're not... um, Somebody that's broken or somebody that's misplaced. You're placed exactly where, where I want you to be and you're not broken. You're beautifully and wonderfully made. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that each time that you might go through these motions of how the world's trying to define you and how the world's trying to put make you fit in this aspect and in this way, And God just destroys that. He breaks it and says, no, no, that's not who you are, and that's not what I called you to be, and that's not what people think of you. And it changes every time. Like You you feel like you didn't have a father for a long time, and then God places a father figure in your life. You feel like you didn't have any friends that were full of faith or or full of some form of real truth. Mm -hmm. And then God places these friends in your life. And then when you come to New Zealand, you, you don't know... You were so ingraded in this care cell group that God actually finds a new care cell group physically that you can come to every week in New Zealand and you can still attend the one in Singapore with Esther. Yeah. And it's just so cool to to see and a constant restoration from your mum, your dad um, and your siblings constantly coming Closer and closer And God saying I am the restorer of all things And I am showing you this One by one So that Like pay attention mm. <laughs> So you don't miss anything I'm going to do it one at a time Nice and evenly Nice and easily to follow To show you that I'm a restorer of all things And um, yeah it's just It's such a beautiful story Like God could have fixed everything just like that But you might have missed it mm. He wanted you to see that he restores everything All of the things. I mean, the way you've described your dad, I cannot imagine him learning to bake.
1: (laughs) It's a strange image, isn't it? (laughs) It's
0: a very strange image in my head. And um, I'm sure he's a lovely man. But um, yeah, that just shows like even God softening his heart. Yeah. And what it, it's not um what is it what do they say um God changes your heart of stone to a heart of flesh one that can feel and and one that can um have that emotion to to be able to love and not to be so rigid. Yeah. So yeah, it's so cool to see that in, in every single sibling in your family.
1: Yeah, and I like what you said about it being a process mm. because I did not feel prepared to come and share this jaw because When, like, just last month or two months ago, I felt that everything that was happening in my family, it was like little bits here and there, you know, like, God was doing something here, God was doing something there, but I didn't feel there was a complete story that I felt could testify to what I had, um, Mm. my journey with God. Let's, Let's say that. So... It was actually only through you know through all these little things that was happening that there was one day last month that I decided to go to YWM and mm. join the worship session, mm. um, and to visit Rose and you know just the people there. Um, try out Carl's Carl's cooking. <laughs> Carl, I Kyle. always have difficulty saying his name. <laughs> <Kyle>. Carl. <laughs> yeah, I try his cooking. You cook well, Carl. Um so <laughs> I just went there to just fellowship and mm. the worship session in that session it was just amazing um it was when God showed me that he was leading me into this meadow a sunny meadow with lots of yellow flowers and he said just go and play and just do whatever you want to do and this kind of made me feel a little bit emotional because I didn't have that freedom as a kid. I I grew up as a child. I was under my own restrictions and external restrictions. And there was a lot of like, I have to do this. I can't do this. And there was no freedom. But here in New Zealand, God is telling me, I can do whatever I want to do mm. now. And I have the freedom to do that. And he's letting me do that. And that was so amazing. And... In that session he told me I'm I have broken every chain in your family. Mm. And come on. And and it was just you know, just realizing that, Joe, I just have tears coming to my eyes and at the end of the session I couldn't stay to talk to anyone because I was just too emotional. And I got home after the worship session and I just knelt on my floor in my room and I just bawled my eyes out and I was just asking God, who am I, God, that you love me so much, that you heard my prayer from two years ago Mm. in the darkness of my room on my bed in Singapore that you took that and you held that and you treasured that and you remembered everything that I gave to you and that you worked everything out Mm. since I came to New Zealand and made things happen and really essentially just tell me be still and know that I'm God mm. and I don't have to rely on my own strength to do anything and and but what did I do God that you do all this for me I don't mm. deserve any of this Yeah, you know who am I that you love me so much and I just couldn't stop crying and I knew and I knew that that was the end of the story mm. you know that I was waiting for to be able to want to share my testimony Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, that's an incredible story.
1: Yeah, what God has done. Yeah. yeah,
0: Definitely one of redemption in your family.
1: Definitely. And I'm still learning, to be honest. I'm still learning to trust in Him Mm -hmm. and not rely on my own strength. Because I've been doing that for, imagine, 30 years. Just Mm -hmm. trying to solve everything for myself and relying on myself and Mm. just even now, I still default to that sometimes. I still think, oh, now I have to look for a job, now I have to do this, I have Mm. to settle this, and it becomes like a default, like a reflex reaction. Mm. So I'm still kind of choosing in those moments to, okay, I just tell God what I need, and then it's with faith that I have to believe that he's going to provide something. (laughs) Um... It's still, I'm still learning that, um, but yeah, mm. God's been amazing.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Claire, for joining us on the Jesus Magnet Podcast. That's an incredible story, um, and I know it's only the beginning of the story, really. You know, you've still got the whole your whole life ahead of you, and I'm sure God's going to bring more and more restoration in your life amen yeah so thanks for listening to the jesus magnet podcast make sure you find us on facebook um and instagram and if you want to get in touch with us uh just send us a message on any of those platforms and um we'll be in touch see you next time on the jesus magnet